Good morning, friends. Uh, today I'm recording from my home office. The message is your heart's true home. It's based on Acts chapter 13, verse 22. Perhaps many of you have heard this little phrase that we've all been created with a God-shaped vacuum. That was said by a Christian philosopher, Blaise Pascal. Those weren't his exact words. Actually, his exact words were these. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. That's very similar to what the theologian St. Augustine also said when he wrote, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. This is our true home, and this is where we belong in a personal relationship with the God of the universe, whom we encounter through his son Jesus. And so the very best thing you can do for yourself and for the world around you is to devote your time and energy and effort towards seeking God. It's by far, in a way, the best way to live. Now, if you've been listening to these messages regularly, several weeks ago we talked about seeking God's face. This means that day in and day out, all throughout the day, you turn your eyes toward him again and again, acknowledging his presence in your life. And then we talked about seeking God's hand, which is to seek after his power, his protection, and his provision. And we discovered that this involves repentance and obedience and persistence. And so we've talked about seeking the face of God, we've talked about seeking the hand of God, and today we'll talk about seeking the heart of God. And seeking the heart of God means to live according to his priorities. In other words, that which matters most to God becomes that which matters most to you. In seeking that which matters most to him and living according to his priorities, we're drawn into a deeper relationship with him. St. John Chrysostom lived in the late 4th century, and he is known primarily as a great preacher. In fact, his name, loosely translated, means the one with the golden voice. It was given to him to signify his eloquence in the pulpit. But he was more than a great preacher. He was a great pastor. He was a powerful and influential leader in the early church. Now, in the early days of his life, he followed what had become kind of a fad in Christian circles in the early centuries. Back then, if you wanted to be really, really spiritual, you went to the desert and became a hermit, devoting your life to ceaseless prayer and Bible study. And you denied yourself not only every luxury, but even the most basic comforts, such as eating a normal meal or sitting down to relax or even laying down to sleep. In fact, he spent two years in the desert on his feet, even sleeping while standing up. Well, the combination of these harsh conditions and his radical diet created permanent damage to his stomach and kidneys, and he was plagued by health problems for the rest of his life. And by the way, this is why we need to measure all Christian teaching, whether it be ancient or modern, according to Scripture, because there will always be those who take a biblical concept and pull it out of its scriptural context and distort it way beyond recognition. That's why throughout history there have been those who have said, The way to please God is to beat yourself with a whip. I mean, this will prove how sorry you are for your sins. Or the way to please God is not fasting for a short time. The way to please God is fasting for such an extended period of time that it almost kills you. Or the way to please God is not putting off sleep for a couple of hours for prayer. The way to please God is to deny yourself any sleep at all. And when you do sleep, you do it standing up. 
Well, throughout history, there have been those who took biblical concepts, such as the concept of self-discipline and self-denial, and stretched it to, I guess we call it, ridiculous limits. And no doubt there are many modern-day counterparts of this kind of extremism and legalism going all the way to the left and all the way to the right. So we need to compare the teaching of Christian leaders with the teachings of Scripture. We need to know the biblical narrative, and we need to take note when they cross the, the line. Let's get back to Chris Austin. Uh, after two years in the desert, he realized that this brutal nomadic lifestyle was getting him nowhere, so he returned to Antioch, and he began the process of ordination for ministry in the local church. Now, Chrysostom is revered not because of his years in the desert, but because of what he accomplished afterwards and what he stood for throughout the remainder of his ministry. Within a few years after his return to Antioch, he had began preaching at the local church, but his sermons were different than what the listeners had come to expect. Instead of delivering theological dissertations filled with allegory and symbolism, he preached the plain and practical application of the simple truths of Scripture. Instead of challenging people to run off to live a hermit's life in the desert, he challenged them to stay right there in Antioch and love one another. Instead of focusing on building great cathedrals, he built a network of hospitals in Constantinople to take care of the sick and the poor. Now, this is just a little excerpt from one of his sermons. <clears throat> it goes this way. Do you wish to honor the body of Christ? Then do not ignore him when he is naked. Do not pay him homage in the temple clad in silk, only to neglect him outside where he is cold and ill-clad. He who said, This is my body, is the same who said, You saw me hungry and gave me no food. And it is he who said, Whatever you did to the least of my brothers, you did also to me. What good is it if the Eucharistic table is overloaded with golden chalices when your brother is dying of hunger? Start by satisfying his hunger, and then with what is left you may adorn the altar as well. Well, in the story of Chrysostom, we see the transformation of a man concerned first with mere religious rituals and regulations <clears throat> to a man whose whole life and ministry became all about pursuing the heart of God and putting God's priorities into practice. Seeking God's presence in your prayer closet is a wonderful thing and should be a part of your daily spiritual journey. I mean, that whole concept of the war room is a good idea. I mean, worshiping God at the beauty of his sanctuary, whether it's in the sanctuary where you worship normally or the sanctuary of nature, is also a wonderful thing, and it too should be a key part of your spiritual journey. But there is a deeper level to seeking God, which we all must be willing to pursue, and that is to seek God's heart, to devote your life to doing that which matters most to him. Now, seeking God means that we say, God, I need your presence in my life. I need your power, your protection, your provision, and I want to live my life according to your priorities because that which matters most to you matters most to me. And so the question then becomes, what matters most to God? What touches his heart? What pleases him? Is it that we whip ourselves with a cat of nine tails and sleep standing up? Or is it something else? Well, the answer is, it is something else. And so today I want to talk about three things that matter to God. <clears throat> three things that we need to put at the top of our priority list because these items are at the top of his priority list. This list isn't exhaustive, but it's a good foundation and it's a good start. First, if you want to see God's heart, you will love as he loves. 
When Jesus was asked which is the greatest of the commandments, his answer was straight and simple and to the point. Luke 10:27. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The Christian life before it is about anything else is about love. Jesus said in John 13, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And Paul said, The greatest of these is love. See, love must be the driving force behind all we do. Now, we worship God, but why? Is it because he's worthy? Absolutely. Is it because we're commanded to? Absolutely. Both are very good reasons. And one step higher on the scale is to worship him because your heart is bursting with love for him. It's not about obligation. It's about celebration. And please understand, I'm not talking about momentary emotion. I'm talking about a lifelong connection. We celebrate our love for him through worship, through a spirit of gratitude, and through recognizing that he is the giver behind every good gift. It is one thing to step outside in the morning and say, what a beautiful day. It's quite another to say, what a beautiful day that God has created for all to enjoy. It's more than just a difference in how you phrase it. It's having a view of the world that's fueled by your love for him, and that attitude pleases him. Now, he not only wants us to love him, but he also wants us to love others. I remember hearing Pastor Bill Hybel say many years ago that you have never made eye contact with a person who does not matter to God. See, in the same way that God loves those who go to church each Sunday to sing his praises, he loves those who wake up Sunday morning too hungover to get out of bed. In the same way he loves those who contemplate him day and night, he loves those who never give him a second thought. In the same way God loves you, he loves that person next to you who gets on your nerves, whose faults are so much more visible than your own, and who looks different or talks different or thinks differently than you. And by the way, as an aside, God's dream for that person who does not know him is not that someday they will become like you or me. His goal is that someday they will become like his son, Jesus. And that's the same journey we're on as well. Just as God wants your life to be all about your love for him, he wants your life to be all about your love for others, even to the radical extent of loving your enemies, even to the radical extent of loving those whom society might call the least of these. Loving your enemies doesn't mean that you surrender to your enemies or that you abandon all your personal boundaries, but it does mean that when you have the chance to do good for someone who doesn't wish you well or for someone who refuses to be your friend, you do it. Seeking the heart of God means that you live with the attitude that says, I want to make my life all about love, loving God above all else, and loving others as I love myself. This attitude leads us straight to the next priority that I want us to consider. It's this. Seeking the heart of God means that you will make your life all about serving others. That's not enough to say, of course, I love people. Words can't describe the feelings I have in my heart for all mankind. I love everybody, especially when they stay out of my way. Now, that can't be our attitude. Jesus said in Mark 10, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Central to the priorities of God is that you devote your life to serving others, just as Jesus did when he walked this earth. In Mark 10, it also says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Our lives are to be all about service. That's why Peter tells us, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. He's saying that whatever God has given you in terms of resources, talents, skills, and opportunities, you should use them not for yourself, 
but for the betterment of others. Can you, for example, imagine how the workplace could be revolutionized if there were a few with the attitude toward the customers and co-workers of what can I do for you? Can you imagine how marriages and families could suddenly turn right side up if someone stepped up and said, my role in this family is to serve, so what can I do for you? Can you imagine the impact a church could have on its community if their attitude became, we're here for you, what can we do for you? Jesus said, just as I came to serve others, I'm calling you to do the same. It's also why he said in Matthew 25, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Seeking the heart of God means that we care more about what he cares most about, and he cares about serving others. Now, there's one more priority that I want us to take a look at. God wants us to love, God wants us to serve, and he wants us to obey. So let's put it this way. God, seeking the heart of God means that you will get serious about a life of holiness. When God chose David to be king, he said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. The New American Standard Bible says, Who will do all my will? Now, do you see the connection? A man or a woman seeking after God's own heart will do all his will, all that God asks him to do. Now, his goal for you, believe it or not, is nothing short of perfection, that you become just like his son. You can read that in Romans 8.29. Our total and permanent transformation won't take place until we enter into his presence. Until that day, he wants us to engage ourselves in the process of becoming more like him every day of our lives. In other words, he wants you to be serious about obedience. And he wants you to be serious about holiness. He wants you to be serious about doing all his will. God's priority for you is that you become holy. And as far as you're concerned, your holiness matters more than anyone else's. After the resurrection, John spent some time alone with Peter, restoring him back into leadership and challenging him to move forward into the future, warning him that he would face some tough times in the days to come. Peter looked over at John, or John looked over at Peter and said, well, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. In other words, Jesus said, John has his own story and his own journey, but that has nothing to do with your relationship to me. In this context, what matters most is the person you're willing to become. Now, there are many who want to make their lives and their ministries all about the holiness of others, or to be more specific, the lack of holiness in others. They claim to be speaking for God, but all they do is point their fingers at everybody else. Now, I want you to know that as far as you're concerned, God is most concerned with the person you're becoming in your own journey into holiness. God's priority for you is not that you become the world's critic, but that you become the world's example of what he has the power to accomplish in the life of someone who seeks him above all else. <clears throat> Seeking the heart of God means that you strive to build your life on his priorities. And the foundational priorities of God are that you love him and you serve, you love others, and you serve him by serving others. And every day you move in the direction of holiness, in the direction of obedience, and in the direction of doing all his will. Seeking God is about more than just standing on a mountaintop, overwhelmed with emotion as you gaze into heavenly skies. To be clear, these mountaintop experiences are wonderful and transformational. I encourage you to go to the mountaintop as often as you can, but that's not all there is to seeking God. 
Seeking the fullness of God in your life means that you come out of the prayer room and out of the sanctuary and into the streets where the people are. Seeking the fullness of God means that you exit the desert and go back to Antioch so that you can start serving others in the name of Jesus. Seeking the heart of God means that you determine to build on your life, your life on his priorities, so that what matters most to him becomes what matters most to you. And what matters most to him? He wants you to love him and love others. He wants you to serve him by serving others. And he wants you to walk with him on the path of holiness, eager to do all his will. In doing this, you're saying, God, doing that which matters most to you matters most to me. On this, I will build my life. In response, God will say, here is a man, here is a woman, after my own heart. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion.